and welcome back to the Terracotta podcast where we talk about art, science, design, culture and more and try to forge positive connections between things. Before I begin today's topic, I would love to thank everyone who listened to me patiently in my previous episodes and especially those who shared these and gave feedback. I'm so excited to bring another new episode to you this week. This time, on jadu, jins and jugaad. By the way, I don't have any recording instruments and that's how I record my podcast, jugaad. My first experience with jadu was when I was a little girl and I had gone to watch a show by PC Sharkar. Back then, I had no idea that it was not real. Strangely enough, when I was a little older to realize that magic is not real, I went to watch his daughter Manika Sarkar. Her show was beautiful and I loved it. That's when I thought, maybe we like magic shows because we know it's not real and yet it feels so real. There's a certain charm to old school magic shows that I feel have gone missing these days. Watching them on screen is nothing compared to the amazing experience of watching it live. Why is it so that we love magic shows so much even though we know it's not real? Maybe it's because in this type of magic there's nothing paranormal. This type of magic makes us comfortable even if it's just for a little while. We like to wonder how did he do that and we feel comfort in knowing what he did was backed by science and logic. We like magic shows because it establishes our belief in logic. We like knowing that what we see is just an illusion, isn't it? But when we talk about jadu and other shows, it's only an illusion that we are talking about, is it? It's years and years of practice and in the Sharkar family's case, generations of trial and error. Trial and error is probably the base of all human discoveries. Trial and error is probably the base of all human discoveries. It's trial and error that helps us, especially Indians, come up with countless creative solutions for countless problems. The Western world behaves in a way that's strangely weird to us. And they probably think of us in the same way. Let's talk about a dishcloth. What's a dishcloth? I came across this term while looking for some easy and quick knitting patterns because I love to knit but I don't have the patience to make something like a sweater or a skirt or something like that. So, a dishcloth is basically a piece of cloth specifically stitched, knitted or crocheted to be used in the kitchen to clean surfaces. However, for us Indians, a dishcloth is nothing but a rag torn out of a t-shirt that was new a few years ago. The western world is talking about sustainable fashion now. While we already know how to be thrifty with our garments, just like the average government employee, the average new t-shirt wears multiple hats. It acts as an occasion specific wear 
within a few months of purchase and is then worn in a regular basis. If it doesn't fit anymore, we just pass it on to our siblings. And then when it has faded unrecognizably, we tear it or cut it and make it into a dish cloth. See? Sustainable. Sometimes it doesn't even end there. There's no such thing called early retirement for us. It's life ends as an unrecognizable mass of rags that we so kindly use to plug our kitchen or bathroom drains. Are you laughing yet? Good. Because I felt my podcast lacked a little humor. No dish clothes for us because my dad has many white vests. I think the need for jugaad in Asian countries come from the fact that these countries are very populated and always compete for resources. And in this rat race, creativity and problem-solving skills are the only things that give people a cutting edge and an opportunity to make life better, isn't it? In a way, these very acts of jugaad keep us close to our original human nature and make us less vulnerable. Humans are aware of their creativity and possess the ability to get rid of functional fixedness. We can find multiple ways to use a single thing and are naturally curious beings. In fact, it's this creativity that puts us on the top of the food chain. In the book Sapiens by Harari, he explains how humans reached at the top of the food chain without being a hunting species. Without being a hunting species that had innate evolutionary hunting instincts and traits like that of tigers, leopards, etc. They didn't have physical features similar to scavengers either. Then how did they rise to the top? They waited for the tigers to eat. They waited for the hyenas to finish the remaining meat of the carcass that the tigers had hunted. And then they realized maybe nothing was left except the bones. What use is this hard white rock solid material to me? Maybe I can use it as a weapon. And then someday somebody got over the functional fixedness of this stick like structure and cracked it open to find marrow edible marrow, nutritious marrow and that is how we leapt to the top of the food chain. Is it anything less than magic to find edible, semi-solid, nutritious food material inside what is hard, dull and dead? As people, we might be dependent on a bunch of products to go through our daily lives. Some of these products are definitely life-changing. But as humans, it's our innate nature to innovate and to use our own creativity and curiosity to solve problems. Let's not make memes out of Jugaad culture. Let's appreciate them. Let's apply them in our own lives. Let's not buy dishcloths and microfiber towels and God knows what. I know my mother is listening to this right now and other things that we do not need. Let us be what we are known to be, beings that create, innovate and thrive with nature. 
I often think of the Arabian Nights story which got turned into a Disney movie with a really cute guy as the lead actor. I even had his picture as my wallpaper for a few weeks. Aladdin, yes. Aladdin was a thief. A petty boy who stole things but did not you know want it for his greeds. He did so because he was poor and he needed it. Not like Jafar. Aladdin's wishes were not selfish at all. And maybe that's why we love him so much and maybe that's why his arrangement with the genie worked for him. Guaranteed, nature is not a permanent wish granter no matter how many candles we blow on our cakes each year. But again, maybe if we ask really simple wishes from nature collectively and collectively work towards making these wishes come true, they will. A couple of nights ago, I was reading an article on Eon and came across this beautiful paragraph. The individual aspiration is always defeated of its perfect fruition and expression, but is never lost. It passes into the conglomerate of being the race. See, like every other person, I do not believe that some genie or jinn will come out of nowhere and grant my wishes. If that's happening in my life, I have some serious temporal lobe damage or perhaps schizophrenia. However, I've just completed a course on creativity in Coursera which talked about how nobody researched creativity because it was considered a gift of God. This thought chain was only recently broken and now it's scientifically proven that creativity can be boosted in many, many ways. But most importantly, scheduling random things that we love to do in our daily routine can boost creativity. It can be anything. It can be something like making soup or playing a specific tune or an instrument. But the key to creativity is knowing what makes you happy and doing that daily. Doing what makes you happy can boost your creativity and build new neural connections in your brain. You will begin to do your tasks well and be more accommodative in general. Once you know what works for you and what doesn't, you'll be able to enjoy life no matter what. And if that's not magic, I don't know what is.